and Rennie show is brought to you by Johnston Group, Vittorio Rossi, Trans Canada Brewing, Lou Ferlin, Cambrian Credit Union, and Homefield. Hello, everybody. I'm Sean Reynolds from Sportsnet, about to be joined by Ken Weeb from Sportsnet. Together, we are Kenny and Rennie, and this is the Kenny and Rennie post-game show after game three of this series. An absolute, I don't know how you look at this one. Is this one a heartbreaker? Is this one a hope maker? I'm not sure how you walk away from this game. I think it all depends on your perspective. Glass half full kind of person, glass half empty kind of person. I'm not really sure what it means going forward. I do think most definitely the Winnipeg Jets would have liked to have come away with this win. Of course, they would have liked to have come away with this win. But maybe the idea of needing this win uh, is something that we should explore in this show because the news that comes out after the game is over. Rick Bonus letting us know in his post-game comments that Josh Morrissey is lost now for the series. Um, absolute disastrous disastrous news to lose one of the best if not well one of the best defensemen in the nhl at this stage i'm not going to go there uh that's a different uh that's for people who actually have that vote uh to go down that road but um josh morrissey lost to this series uh you take a look at this game and you think that they shouldn't have they shouldn't have been able to get back into this game period against a team like the vegas golden knights never mind adding to that the ability to come back into this game without your second highest scoring player in Josh Morrissey, your number one defenseman in Josh Morrissey, one of your A's in Josh Morrissey, just basically one of the most important players to this organization, to this team, to this lineup. Uh, a credit to the Winnipeg Jets who battled their way back into this game in the third period and doing it with a back end that was logging the minutes. I mean, you're talking about near 40 minutes going into that second overtime uh, for both Dylan DeMello and Neil Pionk. Neil Pionk, one of the people who is absolutely battered. Uh, it's funny, we got into this conversation, started holding up the players that are routinely battered uh, by Jets fans over and over again. Um, a couple of them having somewhat redemption games here. I would suggest Neil Pionk being one of those. Uh, Adam Lowry for a long time earlier this year was one of those players uh, who got called out quite often by fans. And then Mark Shifley, a guy who is routinely pointed out by fans um, as being a problem on this team when they don't seem to have their compete. All three of those players, key, key to the Winnipeg Jets, not just their comeback tonight, but them pushing forward. But in the end, they do fall short in this game. Um, let's get down to it. Uh, I, I, I will say this. Um, I thought the, I thought in this series, if we're taking a look at it, the Vegas Golden Knights, uh, were blown out of the water by the Winnipeg Jets in game one. And in the first period of game two, four straight periods, the Winnipeg Jets took. Now it, we had wondered, and this had been a question. And like I said, behind the scenes, Ken had always asked this question was what was going to happen when the Winnipeg Jets were pressed, when things weren't going well. Um, and that became one of my questions to Rick bonus before the game. I don't know if you tuned into the broadcast and watched the pregame show, but I'd asked him about the idea that the Winnipeg Jets, when they're rolling, are really hard to stop. One of the hardest teams in the league, I think, to stop. But when that momentum does get stopped, it can be very, 
very hard for them to get the ball rolling again. I think that's what we've seen here uh, as uh, outside of uh, the first four periods of this series, the next four periods in my mind entirely belonged to the Vegas Golden Knights. Now you go into the third period, I think 11 shots is what the Jets had going into that third period. Everyone who's listened to this show knows my thoughts on this. The Winnipeg Jets aren't going to succeed in the playoffs if they are that team that is just getting outshot entirely throughout the game. They need to get the puck to the net. They need to create chaos. I think they tried to do that. I think what they, in the end, where they somewhat fell down uh, compared to getting back into that game, where they somewhat fell down is the idea that they were still looking, they were getting guys to the front of the net. Uh, and I know it's hard to get the puck to the net. I felt like they were looking for two, not cute, uh, but. Um, uh, <clears throat> too wide open of lanes to get the puck to the net. I, I also do think that Neil Pionk, the first goal, that when he passes that puck to Kyle Connor, I thought they started looking for that because I saw that play try to unfold a couple more times. So rather than getting it to the front of the net, they're trying to get that late guy in for the redirect. They got to play that one time. Why not try it again? Keep trying it too many times. And what you're doing is you're just throwing the puck into the corner if you don't collect on it rather than throwing it to the net front where your guys have another couple chances to get at it. If you want to know what I'm talking about, if you want to know what I'm thinking about, well, think about Adam Lowry's game-winning goal. There is nothing complicated about that goal quite simply grabbing the puck, getting it to the front of the net and letting the guys take over in front of the net. That's how they got there. I think that the Jets may have had a better first two periods had they had more of that mindset instead of trying to get the puck to the net in in such a direct, specific fashion as to try and create tips and and uh, uh, you know redirects from the side of the net, just get it there, right? That that's where I think they may have fallen down in those first two periods. But there's nothing you can take away from their third period and how they came out. Talked to Keegan Colasar in the intermission. Not sure if you watched that. Keegan Colasar, a Manitoba boy whose dad, if you saw the story in the show, KD Williams was a Winnipeg Blue Bomber. The Winnipeg Blue Bombers MOP most outstanding player uh, in the 1996 season. Keegan went off for a game here tonight. We'll get into the effect that he had uh, to start that game. Um, but asked him about their team shutting things down, keep doing the same thing. I think that there's, uh, I will say this, I think that this is such a taxing series, and you will know, by the way, that the hits were flying in that game, uh, the, con the compete for all the pucks. I think that there is a tendency in this series that if you get up, there's a little bit of a relaxation. I think that's what we saw from Lauren Brossois in the third period was Lauren Brossois had battled for the first three periods of this series, then the next three periods of this series, then the first two of this series, this game here tonight. And then all of a sudden I take a look at that Nino Niederreiter goal and I think Lauren Brossois for the first time in that series exhaled. And when he did, uh, the Winnipeg Jets, Nino Niederreiter was right there to rip that one top corner. I think that kind of got the Vegas Golden Knights on their heels and they got back in there. Good job on the Winnipeg Jets for doing that. Good job on them going and moving in to occupy the space that the Vegas Golden Knights gave them in that period. The one thing I'll say and the one thing I wonder is the Winnipeg Jets came out again, you'll notice, in that, uh, that first overtime period. And they looked dominant. They looked like they were carrying things over. The crowd was into it. They were onto it. I was surprised at one point to look and see they really didn't have much in the way of shots by that point in the game. And what happened after that was I thought that they they wasted the domination 
phase that they had in the game, right? They got in and they wasted the domination phase by not getting the puck to the front of the net, not getting pucks on the net. Uh, you can see uh, the game winner in the end is just firing a puck on the net and, and good things happen. I think the Winnipeg Jets, after getting into a shooting mentality and going from what was it, 11 shots after two periods to something like 24, 28, mid 20 shots after after the uh, um, from, from the second period on, uh, that's how you get into the game. You get volume, you get going, you get dirty. And I think what happened was the Winnipeg Jets, despite the fact that they did a great job carrying their momentum forward, kind of forgot what got them there, right? You got to go with the girl that got you to the dance. Well, the girl that got you to the dance in this case is the one that just grinds and gets to the front of the net. I thought that if any place you could point to the Winnipeg Jets falling down after they fought their way back into this game was at that point there. Uh, too many opportunities. Um, this series, to me, has gone into the phase where I think that these are two fairly even teams um, and you've just got to take advantage of the opportunities that you have. The Vegas Golden Knights did that. I don't take a look. I don't think that there was a ton of opportunities that the Winnipeg Jets missed out on in this game. I thought they did a good job capitalizing on the goals that they did capitalize on. But in the end, uh, like I'd said, you can't spot a team two periods um, and, and then you can't let a team off the hook when you've got dominating points of a game by by not getting the puck to the front of the net. To me, that's the cardinal sin of the Winnipeg Jets in this game here tonight. And now, all of a sudden, home field advantage, home ice advantage is gone in this series. Back in the other direction, this has been an interesting one for the betting lines because the Winnipeg Jets, uh, I think it was in the neighborhood of I think it was 62, 63% probability that Vegas would win this series at the start of the series. Winnipeg was sitting around 40%. That entirely flip-flopped after the Jets won game one. And the interesting part about it is the Vegas line did not come back into favor for the Vegas Golden Knights until after this game because the Vegas Golden line liked the idea of the whiteout and the Winnipeg Jets in their home rink having a home ice advantage. Well, that's gone now. You can expect the Vegas Golden, or sorry, the Vegas line has gone in the other direction. So if you are one of those people who like to bet, and I always say this, I do not gamble. I do not encourage you to gamble. But I would say this, if you're one of these people who's been just waiting for the lines to get juicy and put some money on the Winnipeg Jets, now's the time. You just need to know. 70% of teams that win game three in a series and go up two to one, go on to win. That's what you're facing uh, and you're also facing a series in which the Jets have lost their number one player, uh, excuse me, number one uh, defenseman in Josh Morrissey. That is a tough pill to swallow. We'll talk about how the defense covered up on that tonight. They did a formidable job. The question has to become going forward. How much more of that can they do? Uh, Neil Pionk is someone we will have to talk about in this game. Uh, it's one of those things where, I mean, how many people called for him to be traded? How many people have ripped on him? I thought he was the Winnipeg Jets' best player on this night. Uh, and we'll have to also talk a little bit as well about the goaltending situation in this game. Um, a lot of people expecting a bounce-back game, a very Connor Hellebuck-style game in which he was going to steal this one for the Winnipeg Jets. That clearly did not happen before Ken gets here. I will say this, uh, undoubtedly, it is time ultimately for Winnipeg or for Connor Hellebuck to check 
into this city, or excuse me, into this series in game four. Yes, I know he made a gorgeous save uh, on the first shot of the game in the last game. And yes, I think he made a couple key saves at the beginning of game one that allowed the Jets to stay dominant, not have the uh, momentum that they built up, you know, spoiled by a couple early mistakes made by them there. But there is no way to suggest that Connor Hellebuck is reaching Connor Hellebuck levels so far in this series. He didn't need to in game one. He didn't in game two. I won't go as far as saying he was outdueled by Lauren Bressois in this game. And I won't do that because I do think Lauren Bressois sagged in the third period and allowed his team in here. This isn't a case where I think Lauren Bressois went out and beat Connor Hellebuck, but it is most definitely a saw at best between these two goaltenders in this game. Um, I can't think of too many times that goals were stolen away. Uh, some rebounds that I think are getting a little bit concerning coming off of Connor Hellebuck's pads uh, in this series that 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 need to be addressed. They need to be stopped. Uh, seeing a lot of those rebound type goals go in. Uh, and the first goal of the game to me is I, I see it as the equivalent of the Nino Niederreiter um, goal. Uh I think the Nino Niederreiter goal scored on Lauren Bressois is a more egregious goal because if I take a look at it, I don't see the screen. I don't see Bressois being screened on that goal. I do see that Hellebuck um, uh, is screened by his defenseman on that shot. It's still one of those shots, though, that is from far off uh, out enough <clears throat> that that I do think that's one, you know, like they say, goaltenders want them all back, but that is one that Connor Hellebuck most definitely would have wanted back because it was a very savable puck. Um, but in the end, uh, goaltending has not necessarily been the story that we thought it would be in this series. And if it, and that goes in both directions, Connor Hellebuck hasn't been the godlike difference maker that a lot of people expected him to be in this series. And you saw it in our chat room. You saw it on message boards. You saw it all over Twitter. You probably have heard Jets fans talking about it down the stretch. But the expectation that the Vegas Golden Knights goaltending uh, goaltending situation was going to turn into a bit of a hot potato or at the very least a goaltending controversy, that has not happened. Asked Mark Stone about it after the game. He had some interesting comments, said basically that he suggested that Bruce Cassidy was messing with the media, messing with the Winnipeg Jets and messing with Winnipeg Jets hockey fans before the series by suggesting at any point that he was waiting for Lauren Brossois to take the crease. Um, easy for them to say up to one in this series based on how, uh, you know, Lauren Brossois has played in this series. But I would say this about uh, about Lauren Bressois. He had not lost. He had not uh, allowed a game before he shut it down in the playoff. Excuse me, before they ended the regular season, had not allowed a game uh, or let a game go by that he didn't get his team a point. Um, it's one one game in weeks uh, in the entire time since he's come back from the AHL. Uh, that he has not allowed a point. That was game one, or sorry, that he didn't earn his team at least a point. That was game one of this series, and clearly you can't earn your team an overtime loser point in the playoffs. 
But this is so far turning into a Lauren Brassois redemption story. Again, I didn't like his third period. I thought his third period was a big reason the Winnipeg Jets got back into this game. But Lauren Brossois has battled. Lauren Brossois, if we want to talk about timely saves and making saves at the right time, and yeah, he allowed four, but he didn't allow the fifth, which we've heard these mindsets on this podcast before. Um, Lauren Brossois, after stumbling in the third period, composed himself and came back afterwards and was absolutely, I thought, the better goaltender in overtime in this series. Um, Vegas Golden Knights, stealing away home ice advantage. Uh, Winnipeg Jets, the hill for them to climb uh, has just got a lot harder. That's my take on it. Time to bring in the guy with the best music in the business, get his take on it. Here comes Kenny. Ken, this is truly one of the days where we say what took so long. 17 <laughs> minutes you made me tap dance for? This is uh, this is egregious in all kinds of ways. Um, I am going to jump into this because we got to get going on this kind of stuff. But you look great. Um, uh, someone said I'm three for three on the series when it comes to well the suit game. Uh, I, feel like, I, I feel like I am. I feel like I'm doing okay. And if you think I'm doing okay, and if you think, hey, th- that, that's the kind of suit that I'd like to wear, then I know a place where you can get it, and I know guys who can hook you up with it and make you look like a million bucks they reside down at vittorio rossi uh where you will find frankie and the boys over on cordon avenue taking care of all your needs when it comes to looking like a million bucks head on down there ask for frankie and the boys tell them kenny and rennie sent you and they will i promise i promise rennie guarantee almost like the jets making the playoffs which i had said for so long uh rennie guarantee they'll make you look like a million bucks ken what'd you take away from that game yeah, fun hockey game, Sean. Uh, no doubt about that. Lots happening, no doubt. Uh, good tilt. Uh, Manitoba boy uh, Keegan Colasar dropping the mitts with uh, Brendan Dillon there after a, a big shift. Uh, Lowry involved with Mark Stone, then a big hit by Colasar on Lowry. Uh, Brendan Dillon saying to a group of reporters after the game that, you know, <laughs> Lowry's the guy that stands up for everyone else, so it was his turn to do it and step up for Lowry after a big hit. That was a fun tilt. Fans were right into a lather right out of the gate, and it was just fun. Like, that was a fun hockey game. I don't think there is any, there's no question about it. That was, it was a fun, fun, fun game. I mean, lots happening. The Jets were a little bit loose early. You know, a bit of a tough break on the one goal. Sure, Petrangelo did fan on his shot at the point, but, Great pass by Chandler Stevenson to find Eichel for a one-timer. And, Sean, all those folks that were on Eichel after the first game, which I didn't like to begin with because he had 10 shot attempts in the first game, uh, they've quieted considerably here after he scored three goals and put up four points in the last two games to put his team up 2-1 to one in this series. Um, Vegas built the lead to 4-1. They were the better team. Uh, I thought the Jets were 
I wouldn't say they were nervous, Sean, but they certainly weren't generating a lot offensively. They only had the 10 shots on goal through two periods. Uh, I thought they ramped up their urgency. This, this is what we know about Vegas, Sean. We, we know they're a very good defensive team. They've had five different goalies roll through. Uh, Brassois was not busy in the first two periods. And, you know, good shot by Shifley, Sean, but I didn't like that third goal at all. Uh, that's a, that, I mean, Mark Shifley has a good shot and a quick release, but from distance, um, that to me is yeah, one he, that needs he, to be, that's got to be stopped. He wasn't, I mean, even, he wasn't even close he wasn't to screened. stopping it too. No. Yeah, he, I mean, went, he saw it the whole way. And he clean look, he whiffed. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, but he re- bounced back nicely. Uh, on the tying goal, you know, and I, I'm not rip, the shot by Niederreiter is a sneak attack special, Sean. Like, that's a really good shot. Uh, you know, a, a critical eye would say that's from too far out, but I think that's just a perfect shot and where the goalie is kind of not expecting him to go roof uh, on that one there. And good net front, Sean. We talked about this all year long about the Jets. Uh, at five on five, they've done a much better job since getting Nemesnikov and Niederreiter. Uh, excellent job. I, initially in real time, I thought Niederreiter actually tipped, or sorry, I thought Nemesnikov tipped it first, but Lowry actually got his stick on the tip and then found the rebound and scored. Yeah. Uh, I thought yeah. Petrangelo kind of crept up a little bit too far. Um, there too. I mean, you're on the ice for a long time at six on five. Things are happening. Somebody's going to be open. But I didn't like how the Golden Knights played that sequence uh, overly well. But Neil Pionk, Sean. He's been a uh, lightning rod of criticism for the Winnipeg Jets this year. And he played outstanding. Uh, 48 shifts, 40 minutes and, sorry, 41 minutes and 8 seconds. I thought he was really, you know, composed out there. And, uh, you know, just a strong game by the entire group of five. Sean, I thought uh, Brendan Dillon was very good. Dylan DeMello, Dylan Sandberg was solid in the game as he has been in the series. But I know, of course, he turned the puck over on the game winning goal. But actually, on the play itself, Sean, he showed composure by not just, you know, panicking when he got the puck. It, it's unfortunate for him that it hit the shin pad of Ivan Barbashev and it just lands on the the open guy in the slot stick. I mean, that that's. That's what happens in overtime at times. I mean, you saw how disgruntled and distraught uh, Sandberg was at the end of the game. He, you know, put both of his hands to his head. He couldn't believe it. Now, could you make the argument he could have moved it a little bit quicker? Sure, but uh, I don't think that it was a bad play. And you have to give Brett Howden credit. He did an outstanding job on the forecheck to hit and seal Dylan DeMello. Sandberg does a nice job going back, getting the puck with his partner, and the fact that you know a bunch of Jets players went over and tapped him on the pads and said, "Hey, that's what happens." Rick Bonus said it in the post game as well. He said, "You're part of the reason that the Jets got to that point. He's going to keep playing them." Uh, but now, I mean, we'll get to it in a minute. But losing Josh Morrissey is an absolute uh, crushing blow for the Winnipeg Jets. That's not to say that they can't overcome it. But losing a team's top number one defenseman who averages 25 plus minutes a game and plays on runs the power play runs on the top pairing uh, i'm fascinated to see sean i'm going to step back from the buffet here but i am i mean is it as simple as putting in kyle kappa bianco because he's a puck mover or do the jets make a bold move and and call up either Vili hanala or declan chisholm because they're missing a puck mover uh, and those guys both had pretty strong years but I, my guess is that it's kappa bianco and you know that's nothing to do with Logan Stanley. I just I, I think the Jets need 
a puck mover more than they need a big body uh, coming up in the next stage of things. But uh, what do you think? I don't know. I don't know with this one. I, I, I would almost think that maybe the, the likelihood of this being um, uh, like a, a Capo Bianco goes in before Stanley, I think is more of an argument than bringing up someone right down from, from the farm team after so long and throwing them into the fire like that. Because I, essentially your suggestion is, okay, you replace Josh Morrissey with a similar type player. But then that similar type player has to play in similar type situations, which means if you're bringing up a guy, he better be ready, right? At this sure, stage of the series, of course, yeah. down to one, you're bringing in a guy and you're saying you are not just coming into play here. You are coming in to handle and do a lot of the things that we asked Josh Morrissey, a potential Norris Trophy candidate to do. And that's what we're going to have you do. Or you move Pionk into that role and you say, we need you to do what Pionk has been doing up to this point. Um, it's an interesting question. I don't expect it. I think there's a more of a likelihood to have the guys who've been around for this one to go in and play that role. Chisholm is still coming back from injury, so uh, I, I should take him out of the mix for right now. It, it would be either it would only be Hanela right now. Right, and so I mean, you know, our chat room is uh, hey, say hey, something it nice. Would be, yeah, it would be good for the. You just said something very nice about Billy Hanla that I'm sure a lot of the people in the chat room would be interested in diving into. Uh, I think that would be a tricky one, um, Ken. Uh, before we go on, and I want to come back and just talk about just you know some of the idea of how you get past a loss uh, like Josh Morrissey. Right. Um, give me your lamplighter of the game. Uh, you know what? It, it's. I mean. Prettiest goal. I mean, the most important goal is Mario for sure. Uh, in terms of, I'm just gonna, I'm gonna give it to Lowry with 21.9 seconds to go, and it's not because it's a Jets goal being scored, but for me, Sean, it changes the dynamic of the series because agreed. You, you know, the bat, the Jets battled hard. Um, you know, there's no, there's no, like you said, there's no loser point for getting to overtime or double overtime in the game itself. But for the Jets in a game where they lost one of their most important players in Josh Morrissey, the ability to get to extra time and score a three in the third against a very stingy Vegas Golden Knights team, that counts for something. Uh, There's no moral victories. I understand that completely. But because the Jets were able to build the confidence of scoring three times, of getting a strong performance from the five remaining defensemen, and getting some goal. Niederreiter scores his first. Shifley scores his first. Lowry gets his team leading fourth. To me, the Lowry goal is important because it shows the Jets can rally. They showed urgency. They didn't sit back, and I think that will help them moving forward. It may not help them win this series, but it definitely gives them a shot at having belief that they can play well even without one of their very best uh very best players on the on the on the hockey club so uh, i i think it'll be interesting to see but that's why for me i think the lowry goal uh it feels like it's been a while since they scored a six on five goal too sean i think that would be another um reason why yeah. i'm choosing the lowry goal uh, as my lamplighter brought to you by the good folks at Trans Canada Brewing Company. I couldn't agree with you more. Vastly important goal. Fourth goal of the playoffs. Um, I think that I don't know what else is happening around the league because I get so zoned in on the game that I'm yep. hosting. But uh, I think that's tied for the most goals in the playoffs right now. I know Chris Kreider had four. 
uh, they're playing right now, so maybe something has happened that I don't know about. But I thought that's first. Listen, Adam Lowry is reinventing himself right now. Yeah. Adam Lowry is the most clutch Winnipeg Jets player on their roster. He's been that way for the longest time. People know how I feel about his captaincy. Uh, you know, his what I think should be his captaincy right. of this team. That is just absolutely huge. And what it tells me is Adam Lowry, as long as, I'll tell you this, as long as Adam Lowry isn't quitting, I don't think the Winnipeg Jets are quitting. Okay? Right. And and I'll say this, um, I think that there's other, other players on the roster in the past that have led that, that I don't agree, like I don't think that's the same thing, right? Like I... I, I think down the stretch, I made it clear, I think Adam Lowry stood up and decided that he was leading this team. If Adam Lowry is still in the fight, the Winnipeg Jets are still in the fight because Adam Lowry drags them back into the fight. Yep. That's why I think that's important. I also think it's important because it's the exact kind of, Ken, Ken I don't know if you agree with this, but they were they started out dominant in the extra period. And at some point, I was just thinking, wow, they're going to roll them over here. And I think we went to a commercial break, and Gary Galley said the same thing. He's like, this is feeling eminent here. Yeah, sorry, imminent here. Yep. And then all of a sudden, I looked at the shot clock, and the Jets hadn't had any shots. So right. they were taking all that domination, but they just stopped moving the puck to the net. And what happened with that Lowry goal? It was just simply getting the puck to the front of the net. There was nothing about Pionk's move to get the puck to the front of the net that was dangerous for the goaltender other than the fact that there was chaos already there and those players were allowed to try and create that chaos. Um, Jets needed the, the kind of goal that it was was the right kind of goal they need to be following. It's important, Ken, not just because of all the stuff that I said before this, but because the Winnipeg Jets are going to break down the tape of that game to their team and they're going to show that goal and say this this is what we need to do. We need to do more of this. This is where we have our success. Nothing pretty about this, but this is what we need to do more of. That, for me, is why Adam Lowry's goal is the lamplighter of the game. You can agree. You can disagree. I don't care. Just share with us your <laughs> lamplighter on what your favorite goal or what you thought the most important goal of the game was, either team, and you will automatically be entered to win a frosty, delicious eight-pack of Lamplighter Amber Ale, brought to you by our friends at the TransCanada Brewing Company. If you can't wait for Kenny and Rennie to gift you your eight-pack, head on down to TransCanada Brewing Company on your own. You can join them in their tap room at 11290 Keniston, where they have great beer, great pizza, great food, great appies, and an awesome atmosphere. You would know that, and you will find that out if you come on down to the Kenny and Rennie Year Ender Bender, which will be the we're plan tentatively planning the second Tuesday after the Jets season is over. Uh, if you haven't got your tickets, it's because we haven't handed them out yet, but there's a reservation list and it is fully booked, but get on the, uh, what's it called? What do you call the reservation list after the reservation? I can't remember. Standby. You're on standby. Anyway, the standby. The standby. On standby. How about get that? On Let's the go with that, list. buddy. If you want to do that, uh, send me a message at SN Sean Reynolds. Uh, give me your information. I'll throw you on the list. And should a ticket become available, you'll get a call from me, Rennie, telling you you've your spot has opened up. So uh, make sure you do that. And I got to say this. We'll throw it out. Um, we had Tracy Evans Burr is the Lamplighter winner Boer. from the last Buer. Buer. Uh, I think go. it's Buer. 
I think it's yeah, Buer. Think so, Anyways, yeah. Tracy Evans Buer. Um, that's the second eight pack she's won. Congratulations to her. You are on the clock uh, because you won the lamplighter from the last game. Send me your information right here. Send me your full name, which I'm pretty sure we know that. And I will send you a frosty, delicious eight pack voucher from our friends at uh, TransCanada Brewing Company. Thank you so much to them. Uh, and thank you to you, Tracy, for being involved. Uh, what do you have to say, Ken? Sorry, Red Flame 36, just, this is not a place to call call people names and whatever else. Like, come on now, you, be oh, better. Yeah. I don't want to block Done. you. I don't want to put you in a timeout, but please be better here. Ken, Ken won't do it. I will. Uh, we're not here to do this. We're not here to trash. Um, that's all what we're doing here. Uh, okay, moving on, Ken. What's your uh, Johnson Group Cuts cover play of the game? Yeah, for me, it's what happened after the game, Sean. The the parade of people stick tapping Brent, uh, Dylan Sandberg after the tough uh, you know turnover on the game winning goal. Uh, I, I think that you know we talked about this throughout the series so far, Sean. Dylan Sandberg doesn't look like a guy who's nervous playing in his first National Hockey League Stanley Cup playoff um, series, and he was very good in the first two. I thought there were time. Yes, people will look down and see he's dash three, but uh, I thought he played a very good game, at, and he's doing a nice job in this series. He's he's sort of maturing and growing up kind of right before our, our eyes here. And this is the other thing that we know about uh, Dylan Sandberg. He's a very mature player. I don't believe that he will let this kind of a, um, you know, of, of event, uh, like, define his series and I don't think he's going to get tentative and nervous uh, because of what happened uh, the way that you know both Rick Bonus and Brendan Dillon and Adam Lowry all talked about him after the game uh, this is a guy who's been very good on the penalty kill and you know overall yeah I mean Leslie Mich- Michnick you've got it covered as well like the five oh, defensemen as a whole brilliant uh, really good and you know Neil Pion one of the, one of the best uh, gotcha coverage we've seen in the chat room no doubt. Yeah, for me, and I, the reason why I mentioned, I, I thought that just the way that picking each other up as a teammate, that is one of the more important qualities uh, on a team, especially one that has been kind of, well, Rick Bonus has been talking about it all year. We saw what happened down the stretch last year with the frustration spilling over. Uh, I just think that this group, that it's a show of cohesiveness, and I think it was important for the group as a whole, and uh, that's why I've got it picked as my we've got you covered play of the game brought to you by the ogs the good folks at the johnston group i want to give a shout out to the originals the kenny and rennie ogs at the johnston group you won't find two businesses with the same challenges but you will find thirty thousand businesses with chambers plan employee benefits proudly administered by our friends at johnston group chambers plan is canada's number one plan for employee benefits because it evolves with the way you work and live the plan is run as a not-for-profit designed specifically to support small businesses and its unique pooling strategy. Keeps rates stable so you won't have any surprises at your next renewal. Chambers Plan now comes with professional consulting on key financial, legal, and HR issues, and Teladoc telemedicine services are included with every health option. See how Chambers Plan could benefit your business by visiting chamberplan.ca. Um, we keep being asked, Roy Mack asks it here if Ehlers is in next game. Guys, this is it's been explained um 
it's a, it's up to the doctors at this stage. Rick Bonus doesn't know if he's going in. Nick Ehlers doesn't know if he's going in. And the doctors don't know if he's going in because they have to get to a place where they know whether or not he's going to be popped into the lineup uh, based on his uh, how his body responds. We do know this. And Ken, am I crazy to think that this happened another with his injury earlier on this year, that uh, Nick Ehlers is seeming like he's the opposite of Wolverine and that he doesn't have those magical healing powers? This is twice now he's had an injury that has not not progress the way that they had expected it to progress yeah i mean uh, it's it's hard to, well he feels like he's good to go but he doesn't have medical clearance so i mean it's it it's very hard to put together without knowing the exact nature of the injury sean that i think is the most frustrating part uh for most and we understand it's that time of the year and you know cloud of secrecy and everything else but I think if you knew if it was a broken rib or a bruised, you know, considerably bruised sternum or if it was a separated shoulder or if it was a, you know, whatever it is, collarbone, I think you would understand maybe what the timetable or timeline would be. But because we don't know the exact nature of the, of the injury... It's impossible to know if we don't know what it will take outside of the medical clearance. Uh, does it something that shows up in his imaging? Does he need more range of motion? Well, like, what what is it? We've seen him skating, and he's flying around like there's no problem. But there's obviously a big issue. The Jets aren't holding Nikolai Ehlers out of the lineup. If he could play medically, he would play. Um, so, and the other thing too, I know a lot of people are asking about Perfetti. Cole Perfetti is not back in this series. Rick Bonus said over a week ago that it would be 10 to 14 days. Then in the last three days, he said it would be another 10 to 14 days. So I don't see the cavalry coming for the Jets. If they can get Nikolai Ehlers back, that's obviously a huge boost for them. And whenever Perfetti is ready, he'll be ready. For now, the Jets, Sean, they have to focus on kind of the template they had today, playing without Morrissey. Uh, you can't be waiting for people to save the season for them they're going to need to play the way they did in the third period over a 60-minute effort like they did in game one when they had you know more of a you know strong performance. So uh, I got a quick question for you. I, I'm not trying to turn the table, Sean, but I love the physical nature the Jets played with. Do you think it actually got them away from their game in the early stages? Of the, like, I love that they were being physical, but did they take things to an extreme where they got away from their identity and the offense that they create because they were too busy looking for big hits. I wonder. So I, I, I don't think that no? at all. I, okay. I think that if they didn't match what Vegas was doing, they were going to get run out of the ring. Fair. That's what I think in that situation. That's why I asked. Uh, and, and I mean, I will say this. like there, I think when you play that kind of game, it takes you a little out of yourself and you end up with penalties here or there. And clearly Pierre-Luc Dubois, I thought the penalty that he took on Mark Stone was one that uh, that – uh, you know, that I thought was an example of the Jets playing outside of that. But I'm going to tell you this, and we should get to this, um, because because clearly there's people in here who think that I've just been, you know, for years upon years now, a closet Vegas Golden Knights fan. I can't wait to talk about uh, the Vegas Golden Knights and how great they are, other than the fact that I'm just going out and I'm saying what I saw in this game. I thought that Keegan Colasar, a Winnipeg boy here, um, 
really did a good job of turning the tide for his team in this game. So you walk into this building, and it's funny, Ken, because one of the things we're going to have to talk about is how the Jets handle the whiteout because someone put it in here. Let's see if I'd started. Oh. I think that it was in here at some point. Yeah, Jeff Shoot says 15 whiteouts, five wins. Yikes, this needs to be addressed. What tells me this is a real thing, Ken, is I asked Rick Bonus about handling yep. the crowd before the game, and it's something that he said he took his players aside and had a conversation about. Um, it's It's sometimes not easy to handle a big loud building um even if it's your big loud building that can be that can be tricky and one of the so it can be tricky sometimes if the building is going because that may make you too crazy for the moment i know gary galley thought that the jets came out and they kind of uh you know were running around a little bit too much they were too amped up by the crowd he thought that vegas was more steadied but here's the reason i think vegas was steadied and this is why i think it's important Adam Lowry goes out and he throws a hit on Mark Stone right at the start of the game, which is something that uh, Adam Lowry should be doing yep. in this series. Adam Lowry goes out and does that, and then Keegan Colasar goes like uh, like a cannonball and absolutely nails Adam Lowry. Here's the thing. People, this doesn't happen to Adam Lowry, right? Usually guys aren't able to catch him and give him a hit. He's the one who doles out punishment. And other than every once in a while getting in a fight, which he did with Ryan Rees, which I think was such a galvanizing moment for this team before the end of the season. But even then, he handles himself well. Adam Lowry is not a guy who takes punishment. So to have an Adam Lowry who not only is the Jets' leader in goals, but he's their heart and soul of this team, to have him take a pop like that by Keegan Colasar, I think is absolutely huge. I think what shows it's huge is Brennan Dillon stands up in that moment for Adam Lowry like he's Kyle Connor or Mark yep. Shifley or one of any number of stars on this team because that's what Adam Lowry is playing like right now. So for Keegan Colasar to go to a guy who's kind of been a bully for the other team, who's been the heart and soul of another team, and pop him like that and then defend himself in the fight the, the way that he did, I don't know if you heard it on any of the microphones or anything like that, Ken, but the Vegas Golden Knights bench response to that is very akin to the response that we saw from from the Jets towards Adam Lowry when he fought Ryan Reeves. This was a moment where Keegan Colasar took on a guy who's been a little bit of a boogeyman, took him on, got a good shot, a good licking on him, held his own in a fight after that, and then he comes back and scores a goal later on in this game. I thought that that was a moment that took the crowd down a little bit. And when I say a little bit, I still think that the whiteout was absolutely phenomenal today. Anyone who was there, either inside or outside, stand up and take a bow. You were absolutely phenomenal. We had some of the Vegas media here who came and said, well, the Winnipeg whiteout, I heard them on their TV hit, were everything as advertised. What happened in this building tonight was amazing. But you saw a Vegas Golden Knights team that came in and handled it well. And a big reason they did was Keegan Colasar, who has been around and has watched games in this whiteout. Um, he's a big reason the, the Vegas Golden Knights survived that here tonight. Yeah, no doubt. And I, I thought that was an important play for them. And I would also say this. I mean, it was a great hit. And I think it was part of the thing, too. I mean, Adam was at the end of a long shift, Sean. And uh, Colasar did a great job of catching him with his not with his head down but in a spot where uh you know very clean hit great hit hard and heavy hit and that's the kind of reaction i mean that that we we always talk about reactions and that that was a massive play in the game and 
Colesar also go out and got a great, great goal. I mean, people can say whatever they want. Jack Eichel shot for the pad intentionally. He saw out of his periphery that Colesar was going to the net. That's a great shot and a good job by Colesar to get to the net and, you know, celebrate. Go wild, man. If you score in your hometown in the playoffs, go nuts. Good on them. Yeah. Um, Ken, uh, before we get into the next topic, um, you got to give a shout out to our main man, sweetie. You bet for the folks who have realty needs that they'd like to have met, whether you're buying, selling, maybe you're curious about what the house on the corner is going for these days, or if you're looking to move to another neighborhood, you can contact Lou Furlan at Royal LePage Dynamic Realty, 204-791-9971, or at the office, 204-989-5000. His email is lou at loufurlan.ca, that's L-O-U at L-O-U-F-U-R-L-A-N dot C-A. And his website with all of his listings, louferlin.ca. Lou Ferlin, excellent realtor, excellent human being, and excellent supporter of this community, including our podcast, for which we are eternally grateful. Absolutely love sweet Lou. Absolutely love sweet Lou. Um, Sorry, just one quick one about Morrissey. Dan Asham has asked, is Morrissey done for the year? We don't know what the length of the severity or length or severity well, of the injury. He's done at least for the series is what we know. Rick Bonus said he wouldn't be able to... I mean, it, it would, this is very simple. It's a right knee issue, and they won't know until the swelling goes down how long Josh Morrissey's going to be out. That's my interpretation. I don't think if the Jets advanced, he would be ready for the start of the next series, Sean. I'm not a doctor. We're just asked to play them on TV. But I, I think this is... If he's already saying he's out for the series... It must be a significant issue. That's my interpretation. Uh, I just want to do this because we like to pull back the curtains every once in a while. THP Power says you really can't tell how loud the crowd is. Sportsnet has it way too muted. Sportsnet doesn't have it muted. Um, This isn't like the NFL where they mic the crowd. Uh, You'll see NFL games that have almost empty stands after people have left, and it will sound like they've got 50,000 people going nuts. Why? Because they take microphones in the stands so they're right beside the fans. That doesn't happen, so it's not the Sportsnet broadcast just the same as it wouldn't be the TSN broadcast during the regular season, just the same as it wouldn't have been TBS's broadcast tonight or the local broadcast for the Vegas Golden Knights. You are not miking up the crowd in an NHL rink. That doesn't happen. Uh, if you got beef with that, you can take it up with the NHL, but Sportsnet was not trying to mute this and take the wind out of the whiteout tonight. I think we did everything we could to to honor the whiteout as it should be honored because it is absolutely amazing to be a part of. If you were tuned in and saw me do my uh, my opening, uh, it was uh, a spot of me stopping just to allow the audience listen in on what was happening because that was an amazing moment. I can tell you right before we went on, I was just standing there and I didn't even know the look I had on my face, but Scott Butter Carruthers, you've heard me huh. talk about him, uh, our producer in this series said into my ear, he said, Sean, you look really happy right now. And I said, like, who could not be happy standing in the middle of all this happening? What a moment in sports. Jets fans, you do a lot uh, to stand out. Uh, and believe me, it is noticed right across the league. The Winnipeg Whiteout is unique. It is something to see. It is something to hear. Congratulations. Once again, take a bow. That said, Ken, why does it seem like the Winnipeg Jets struggle in the Whiteout? Yeah, that's a good question. I mean, I think that it's twofold for me. Vegas plays in the loudest rink in the in the league, I think, probably, or one of for sure. So I don't know that the Jets were overly, I mean, maybe they were too amped up. I, don't, I, don't, I didn't see that being a, 
a factor in the game. But I think Vegas was used to playing in a hostile environment, so they weren't nervous about it. So uh, maybe it was more to do with that. I mean, it is something that is accurate. I mean, full buildings that are going full throat, the Jets have not all often played great in them. Now the exception, I would say, and they had a ter- poor start. The game against Nashville is one of the loudest roars. Jacob Truba's tying goal in game yeah. three. But they fell behind 3 nothing in that game or 4-1 or whatever it was. So they have struggled early. So how do they remedy that? I'm not sure. They, they'll have to... I mean, they didn't struggle against Minnesota in the home games in that series. They won all three. So uh, I don't think it's a one-size-fits-all. These are different teams. Uh, I think that the building was rocking. It was fun to see. Um, I'm with you. I was looking around the building. It, it's a it's a cool thing to witness. I mean, I was at the second. Rick Bonus talked recently about being in the you know for the first whiteout. I wasn't at game. Uh, you know, I think it would have been game three that year. I was at game four that year against Calgary. I'm pretty sure they started on the road, uh, but I was at the second whiteout. I think probably you know might even have one of those white pom poms in a box somewhere in my home in Altona. Uh, the atmosphere was unbelievable, and it was great in here today. Like it was an awesome hockey game, hard hitting, lots of scoring chances. Even though the Jets didn't have a ton of them in the first two periods, uh, but overall, fun game, fun atmosphere, and people should be proud. I mean, the crowd. I obviously you guys had shots from outside. It looked like it was a great atmosphere. Would people have loved it if oh, yeah. it was 15 degrees? You know higher and for those folks watching from the states i mean 15 degrees celsius higher but people were into it so um again sorry i i thought it was just a fantastic atmosphere and this is bought this is great sorry brent chapman says how many oh sorry i want to go back to it up i just put it up sorry i want this first one he says how is the hit by lowry on Lowry by Colster, different from Shifley's hit? Do I really need to explain this? Mark Shifley traveled 200 feet to to deliver the hit. No one is thinking the same Come on now. You don't need to explain it. Um, uh, Okay. You know what? Let's move on. I want to get to a conversation about Neil Pionk because Neil Pionk is someone... There's never been a segment, say something nice about Neil Pionk uh, (laughs) on the Kenny and Rennie show. Uh, Tonight, there most definitely should be. Neil Pionk has been one of the guys who's worn the horns for a long time on this team. Uh, One of the guys that gets called out quite often. Um, He was... Well, I said it earlier on. I thought he was the Winnipeg Jets player on this night, uh, yeah. the Winnipeg Jets best player on this night. What did you think, Ken? I thought it was a very gutsy effort. I think that um, I still have, you know, I'm still contending that I don't think that Neil Pionk is fully healthy. Uh, you can see it in the way he's skating still on some nights. Uh, obviously, you're not going to have a whole lot in the tank when you play 41 minutes, but he gives the Jets everything that he has. Uh, he has been a physical force at times in this series. Pionk had four shots on goal, nine shot attempts, seven hits, three giveaways, five blocked shots. Uh, he was very active in the game. Uh, I thought he played his heart out. He'd require, for those folks who are unaware, he required an IV after the game. He, he couldn't do interviews because he was uh, getting re-energized for game four. Uh, I thought that he played played his ass off quite frankly and you know the the points are a bonus for him uh, and the points are going to have to be part of the equation because the Jets will be without their top point producing defenseman 
Are you done, or are you, I just, just... No, I think that's about it. No, sorry, I had a little uh, hiccup there. I apologize. But no, I think that's really all that I have from him. Well, I, I thought I, he was great I, in the game. So a couple of things that stood out to me. A, you know, the fact that even before Morrissey went down, uh, I believe uh, they score before Morrissey goes down, do they not? Um, I no, mean, he's the guy... For, no, uh, yeah, they did. Sorry, Stevenson yeah. scored on the shift no, no, in sorry, between... The- sorry, did, did, uh, did the Jets score before Morrissey was out? No, he left no, it like okay. four or something into the game. It was one he was not on the ice for the goal against, but they had the power well, so, play right after. So then, my view of this, my view of this is that uh, Josh Morrissey goes down, and every single guy on that bench kind of has to have the gut check, and every single guy knows at that stage that it's going to be by committee that they cover him off. But I also think in that moment, Neil Pionk knows that if anyone yep. is going to be able to replicate the kind of things that Josh Morrissey does or step into the role of Josh Morrissey, that it has to be him. And he did it, right? Okay, so yep. in a pressure-packed environment, in a game in which the Vegas Golden Knights, I thought, owned the first two periods of that game, uh, Neil Pionk goes out and puts on his Josh Morrissey disguise and goes out and entirely pulls it off in that game. That first goal is entirely him creating that goal. Yep. He sees the thing on the ice that no one else sees other than he and Kyle Connor in that situation. Um, and then after that, I just can't say enough. Uh, Gary Galley was talking about it. No one on the ice expects him to do what he does uh, in that game-tying goal. Everyone is expecting him to just rim it straight back around the boards. Two Vegas players cheat to do exactly that. This is what I'd said that Josh Morrissey does really, really well. He treats the other players on the other team like they are pieces on a chessboard, and he moves them. He takes away their free will and gets them moving where he wants them to move and then occupies or moves into the space that they leave behind. And that's exactly what uh, Neil Pionk does. This is like a highly cerebral play in which he tricks the Vegas Golden Knights into thinking he's going to do one thing. And then in doing that creates an imbalance in front of the net where Nemesnikov and Lowry are in front of the net. They've got a two-on-one situation. It makes it hard for Alec Martinez, who's the exact defenseman you want in front of the net at that point of the game in that situation because he's the guy who's most likely going to snuff it out. But it gets hard to do so because who do you concentrate on when there are two guys? And then for Lauren Brassois, all of a sudden there is chaos created there. The puck goes into his glove and comes out of his glove. Why? It's not a hard shot, but it's put in a place where Lowry can create chaos. He redirects the puck. It goes into the glove comes back out right back onto Lowry's stick and it's in the back of the net. Neil Pionk stepped up not only in the amount of ice time, like he's playing the kind of ice time that you expected from the playoff greats, the Chris Prongers, right? Yeah. Uh, the, the Chicago defenseman down the stretch, the Duncan Keiths and the, the Seabrooks, the kind of defensemen who go out there and put their mark on a game because they've just barely come off the ice. Neil Pionk went out and I thought at a time in the game, through the third period and continuing on into the first overtime, Neil Pionk seemed to be getting faster while everyone else was getting slower. This is one of those situations where the Jets needed a hero to show up in this game, and Neil Pionk was the Jets' hero in this situation. He's taken a lot. Like you said, you've thought he's been injured throughout this season. Um, 
maybe that's the case. But if so, and if he's still struggling with an injury like you think, Neil Pionk rose above it all tonight to have probably his best performance of the season. I don't think the Winnipeg Jets tie that game up if it's not for Neil Pionk. Um, and I do think that the idea, I am of the school of thought that, yes, the Vegas Golden Knights got, get, came away with this victory, but I think there's more likely that this game plays on the minds of the Vegas Golden Knights going forward that they're like, geez, you can't turn your backs on these guys, and that, you know, that can make them squeeze the stick a little bit. Um, I think that it's more likely to play on that than the Jets are to look at this game and think, God, we blew this one. We blew home ice advantage. It's all over now. I think Neil Pionk's performance right now uh, in this game has given the Winnipeg Jets hope going forward. Uh, and that's what you need right now at this stage uh, where uh, home ice advantage is lost now back to the team on the other side or in the other dressing room. Um, uh, how about uh, Josh, excuse me, how about Mark Shifley in this game? Uh, because I'll tell you this, there's a point right before he scores his goal, yep. he turns the puck over uh, or loses the puck on the power play. Mm-hmm. Um, gets Retrieval, hear a little yeah. bit of a booze, hear a little bit of a booze, and then he gets it back and he almost, Kenny's that close to losing it at the line and it going the yeah. other way. And I had thought in that moment, if he would have done that, you would have heard the booze raining down in this building at that stage. And you don't want this active of a crowd booing your own home team in that situation. We saw Vegas's crowd doing it to them. Uh, instead, he keeps it in, ends up getting that goal. What did you think of Mark Shifley's performance tonight, especially getting moved back onto a line uh, that, you know, and if you'd like, take this as well, the chemistry that Rick Bonus was searching for in mixing up his players and getting Mark Shifley back on a line with Vladimir uh and Blake Wheeler. Yeah, I think, and I know he was back and forth. He was mostly at center, and though, yes, of course, Nemestikov took draws in his strong side. I thought he looked more comfortable. He did spend some time like rotating towards the wing, depending on who was first back and third man high and all those things. Uh, I, I thought, you know, it's, I think it was massively important for him to get on the board in terms of producing his first point of the series, his first goal of the series. Uh, I thought he was skating well. He was a little bit more physically engaged. I thought he had two hits or credited with two hits in the game. Uh, I thought he was involved in the four check. I thought he won a lot of battles below the goal line, Sean, uh, which is an area where occasionally Mark can be very dangerous below the goal line when he can get uh, into that scenario where he gets into the cycle game and finds people or, you know, creates extra looks for guys on the back door and things like that. So, Overall, I mean, whether he had scored or not, I thought he was was steady in the game. He played 30 minutes and 31 seconds on 34 shifts. He had two shots on goal, six attempts, two hits, 50% in the circle. Uh, Was it a dominant performance? No, but I thought he was solid. Uh, Does he have another level? This is the other part, Sean. With Josh Morrissey out, guys like Mark Shifley are going to have to elevate even further. It's not just the five defensemen or the, the six defensemen who comes in. The Jets' offensive weapons and stars are going to need to be, you know, involved. Uh, I thought further to the point and just taking it to the next phase, I thought Niederreiter was much more involved in the game today physically. I've liked him through the first couple games, but he was way more involved offensively uh, playing with Dubois and Connor. uh, And more shots, obviously not just the goal. I I thought he was pretty active today, Sean. 
Uh, I thought the move worked out well for him. He had eight hits in the game, three shots on goal, eight shot attempts. So I felt as though uh, the the, the flip-flop was a good move for two reasons, Uh, getting Shifley more comfortable in the middle and getting Niederreiter going because, uh, quite frankly, I don't think the Jets can win the series without having either one of those guys going offensively. And I thought today they were both involved. I thought Niederreiter, that's someone we haven't talked about, had an absolutely great game tonight. And boy, oh boy, does he have that edge. You know, when we heard the story about Brendan Dillon picking him up and driving him to the first (laughs) Jets practice and telling him how much he hated playing against him, I can see why. What And, and you know, like, my kind of way to do it, like, I will say this, there were some players, and I'm not going to name them out by name, but I thought there was, I thought for a while there in in that game, the Winnipeg Jets were pulling the... uh, the idea, the the thing where they were trying to like get a reaction from the other team, and then the other team would give them their, that reaction. And there's one play that stands out to me where there was a head snap that the refs just did not buy, nor should the refs have bought that play. Yeah. I thought the Jets got into a situation for a little bit where they were trying to goad the other team into penalties and were trying to sell those penalties. I'm ne- I've never been a big fan of that kind of play. I don't see that ever from Nino Niederreiter. Nino Niederreiter is a guy who gets out there and just goes to war, right? And he draws penalties because he's going to war and the other team is responding to that. I think the Jets would be far better served down the stretch, especially against a pretty gritty team here that I think showed a little bit of lack of... Um, um, uh, a lack of ability to stay out of the box when the Jets were goading them in the first game. The Vegas Golden Knights looked to me like a team that's figured out the Jets trying to play like that, the Pierre-Luc Dubois trying to irritate them, the Pionk trying to irritate them and goad them into penalties. I think that they've figured that out, so I think it's time for the Jets to leave that tool, which I've never liked, out of their toolbox and just go at it, right? Do what Nino Niederreiter did leading the way and do what Adam Lowry has always done. Just lead the way, grind, go after them, stop trying to go with the, go, or keep trying to go with the other team into penalties, but stop it with the head snap. Stop trying to sell calls. I think it doesn't build goodwill with the refs, especially at this time of year, because if you go to ref into a bad call in the playoffs and that goes out and, and is seen across the world, that pisses refs off, right? So if I even if you do get the call on selling a penalty, I don't think it helps you down the road. Follow the Nino Niederreiter model. Just grind it out. Go get in their face. What a game he had tonight. Uh, in the end, though, it's the Winnipeg Jets not getting over the hump in this game. Um, what a game it was, though. Uh, before we do go, I want to make sure that I throw out uh, the winner of our Dig Deeper uh, shovel on this night. It's time to throw a spotlight on the comments and choose a standout for the Home Field Dig Deeper Award. This is, I think, the first time we've ever had the crowd calling for the winner. Had, like This feels like a moment where <laughs> Leslie Michnik got thrown up on the shoulders in the chat room and carried around and paraded around because people were calling for <laughs> Leslie to win the award, and rightfully well so, done. because Leslie Michnik said this, got you covered, has to be the five D-men stepping up and helping get the game to double overtime, with many of them playing more minutes than normal. Pionk with the three apples absolutely nailed this, Leslie Michnik. Uh, and just like, uh, or thank you, Leslie Michnik, and just like Leslie uh, Homefield is always going to dig deeper to find the best marketing solution for your company. Find out how at myhomefield.ca. Ken, 
great job here tonight. Chat room, you are on it as always. Uh, it's a big one. It's a huge one. We're back to biggest game of the year territory for the Winnipeg Jets on Monday night as they will go for game four against the Vegas Golden Knights. I've always thought, Ken, the game four is the biggest game of a series because you're either tying things up 2-2, going up 3-1, or it's 4-0 and the series is over. Huge, huge game for the Winnipeg Jets. Uh, and you know what's been huge for the Kenny and Randy podcast and all you people out there who uh, appreciate the stories and the conversations happening in these spaces that's been huge has been our sponsors uh, who fight to keep these conversations going in these spaces. For us, that's Vittorio Rossi, the Trans-Canada Brewing Company, the Johnson Group, Lou Ferlin, and Homefield, of course. Thank you so much to them. Thank you to you, Ken. Thank you to the chat room. We will reconvene here after the Jets' biggest game of the year on Monday. Game four against the Vegas Golden Knights. Thank you so much, everyone. We will see you then. The Kenny and Rennie Show is brought to you by Homefield. Cambrian Credit Union. Lou Ferlin. Trans-Canada Brewing. Vittorio Rossi. And Johnston Group.